0: is from a traveler named, Primordial Terror. He called this one, What the Ocean Brings. Please, allow me to tell you his tale. These days, she hardly thinks about the ship at all. Ten years have passed in a blur of flashing cameras and blinding stage lights and clamoring paparazzi. At first, she'd been too drunk on her success. And then she'd simply been too busy. Now and then, a reporter would ask her about the sinking of the Andromeda. But it was always Frances Meredith, a darling of Broadway, who answered, and not that frightened girl who had huddled shivering in a lifeboat. But something about tonight is different. It's 1922. Frances Meredith, 29 years old, sits by the window, staring out at the sea. She's gazing out at the bay and the dark expanse of the Atlantic beyond. The green light of a boy flashed in the distance. lone lights of ships scattered on the horizon like fallen stars. Seals barking in the low, mournful moan of a foghorn. She's at a party at a manor on the tip of Long Island. She and her castmates are celebrating the Broadway premiere of their new play, Ophelia. It's getting late, but the party is still in full swing. The phonograph is blaring some hit new jazz tunes. A bartender brought in from a local speakeasy keeps the bootlegged booze flowing, and the bravest or drunkest of Francis's castmates take to the floor to attempt some newfangled dance lately in fashion. On any other night, Francis might have joined them, but now she sits in the corner by the window, gripping a still untouched flute of champagne. She's thinking about how surreal this would all have seemed to that skinny young thing from Liverpool, who had come over the ocean with nothing but the clothes on her back a few pence in her pocket, and a dream of being a star. When she first saw the ship, she remembered thinking she had never seen anything so grand. A fitting vessel to carry her to her bright future. As they prepared to cast off, hundreds of passengers gathered on the top deck to wave to the crowd of onlookers below. But Frances was already looking west. Across the sea, she had never looked back because there was nothing to look back to. On the voyage over, staring out at all that endless blue, She had taken a coin from her pocket and tossed it into the ocean, thinking, if fountains could grant wishes, what might the ocean bring? That night, the ship hit the iceberg. Francis was herded and jostled to the top deck with hundreds of other panicked and bleary-eyed passengers. Frightened, freezing, and surrounded by strangers, she had burst out crying. Two women in fine evening dresses huddled beside her and offered her words of comfort. When they had calmed her down, they had taken her by the shoulder and steered her toward the lifeboats, where a handsome man in a dinner jacket stood directing the efforts. He had smiled reassuringly at her, taken her by the hand, and hoisted her into a raft. Five hundred people went into the water that night. Two hundred made it out. The next day, as the ragged survivors were disembarking at New York Harbor, Frances had scanned the crowd in vain for the faces of the strangers that had been so kind to her. She never got their names. As she was stumbling up the deck, a reporter snapped a photograph of her. The girl in the photo was haggard yet beautiful, and something in her face seemed to capture the whole weight and tragedy of the disaster. Soon every newspaper in America was printing the photo, and the overtures from journalists talent scouts, and modeling agencies came not long after. Eight months after the ship's sinking, Frances starred in her first feature film, a dramatic reenactment of Andromeda's End. She portrayed herself, and a well-established Hollywood actor played the man who had helped her. The film's producers had tried to wring every detail they could from her about that night, but she found she remembered almost nothing. It was a blank space in her mind. A hack screenwriter filled the gap with dashing heroics and melodrama, even inventing a tragic romance between Francis and the man on the deck. It was strange playing the part, felt wrong somehow, but it proved to be her big break. She starred in a dozen more films and from there made her to the Broadway stage. She went on as she always had, going full steam ahead and leaving the past firmly in her wake. Until tonight, now sitting by the window, watching her breath fog the glass she suddenly feels an overwhelming urge to leave the glaring lights and blaring noises of the party. She stands up, sets the champagne glass down, and makes her way out the back door. A soft, salt wind is blowing outside, gentle and warm on her face, like a caress. The house has a wooden stairway leading down to the beach, and at the bottom, she takes off her heels. She wants to feel the sand on her toes. She can breathe easier now, Here the clatter and music of the party are drowned out by the steady roll of the tide. She exhales, breathes it in, and then she sees them. Three figures stand in the surf, the waves lapping at their ankles. Two women stand there in their finest evening wear not the short cropped dresses that are all the rage these days, but the long and elegant gowns of yesteryear. Before them stands a man sharply dressed in a dinner jacket. When she looks at him, he smiles. Hello, Francis. He says, the two women beaming behind him too. How lovely you look in the moonlight. His clothes are dry look freshly pressed except for where the tide washes up at his feet. Francis can't think. She tries blinking furiously, but the figures remain. Too much champagne, she thinks, but she's been nursing the same glass all night. We wanted to surprise you. It seems we succeeded. He laughs then, a warm and rich laugh. It's just like one of your films. Isn't it? But I promise you're not dreaming. She gazes at his face, which seems to swim and waver before her. Is it the face of the man on the ship, or the actor who portrayed him? She can no longer tell. She takes a step closer. You should ditch this joint, Francis. The two women chime in. Their pale skin seems to shimmer in the moonlight, almost translucent in places. We know a better party. Anyone who's anyone will be there. Francis looks back toward the lights of the manor house, so distant now. Come on, darling, says the man. The water is quite warm, I assure you. She is very close to the tide line, and she reaches down to test the waters as they recede. They are as warm and soothing as a milk bath. She takes another step closer. I have something for you, my dear, says the handsome man, and he holds out a closed hand. A strange green light dances under his skin. Francis thinks of the flashing boy and steps closer. The pounding of her head is the pounding of the surf. I think you lost this, he says, opening his palm. It's the coin she tossed into the sea all those years ago. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea. Innovation and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit Parker.com/purpose. Parker: Engineering Your Success. Bright and gleaming as the day she had it. Francis reaches out her hand, and the man grabs it. His grip is very tight, his skin very cold. There's a gleam in his eyes now, like the scant trances of moonlight that reach the bottom of the ocean. Come join us, Francis. Come join us at the bottom of the sea. He smiles then, and his mouth is filled with row upon row of sharp, shining teeth, like a creature of the deep sea. The next day, her body washes up with the morning tide. They find her there, her hand gripping tight to a silver coin. Now, that was the end of my tale. I hope you enjoyed yourself, listening while escaping the world you live in. That is all for today. Safe travels and a blessed day.